Well, it'd be really helpful to have your Bibles open. So Colossians chapter 2, as we continue in our series. And if it's helpful, there's an outline on the back of the news as well. And there's some translation points there in Dinka and Korean. So uh, please use those if they are helpful to you. But right now, let's ask for the ultimate help. Gracious God, we thank you so much for your great love for us and the grace that is afforded to us through the Lord Jesus. We pray that this day you would be at work in the power of your spirit. Please soften our hearts, open our minds, and move our wills that we might seek to glorify you in all things and be rooted and built up in Christ alone. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, up to this point in the letter to the Colossians, Paul has been unpacking the glorious riches of Christ. Colossians is uh, like a mega show bag of treats. Every time you reach in and you rummage around, another mind-blowing reality about Jesus is revealed. That it's in Jesus that our hope is stored up and secured. Through Jesus, we have been qualified, rescued, and redeemed. He's supreme in creation. He's the ultimate Lord. But he's also supreme in salvation. He's the ultimate Saviour. Jesus has rescued us from our past. He's given us purpose in the present and assured us of the future. Yet as staggering as Jesus is, it's equally as staggering is our propensity, our, our tendency to drift away from the wonder of him. It's incredible our, our propensity to, to let the extraordinary become ordinary in our eyes and find ourselves off looking for the next best thing, like the new thing that you really longed for, but then it's not too long before it ends up in the bottom drawer. We often drift from wonder. I remember when Patrice and I, many years ago, moved to uh, Durham in the UK. I remember the very first time that I set my eyes on the 900-year-old, or almost 900-year-old, uh, cathedral there. I was absolutely gobsmacked at how stunningly beautiful it, it was. I had seen photos of it before. Someone even, have, even had gifted me a photo, uh, a painting of it. But nothing prepared me for actually seeing it. I was totally captivated. Yet as we lived there, and as I saw it every day, it wasn't long before I would walk past it or even through it without noticing it at all. The Colossians, even though they had received the staggering, unparalleled news of Jesus and been enjoined in fellowship with the true and living God, seem to be now left wondering, what's next? How can I level up? You can almost imagine them saying something along the lines of, if only I had this, or if only I did that, or I'd be a more fulfilled, I'd be a more complete Christian, if only fill in the missing blank. Now, of course, it wasn't helped by the influence of those around the Colossians saying that Jesus is not enough, that you need extra rules or special knowledge or spiritual experience. Uh, perhaps sometimes you actually find yourself kind of drifting from 
wonder or feeling inadequate. And so Paul, knowing the situation, responding to that question of what's next, simply responds, verse 6, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. That's his response. So let's break that down. So then, that is, in light of all the marvellous things declared about Jesus the Lord, just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, which is to say, just as you heard the proclamation of Jesus, made a confession of faith, and received a new status as his body, what next? Continue to live your lives in him. That's it. Just continue to live your lives in him. What's next? Live in the way that you launched. So Paul gives them uh, three things to help them with that. He gives them a goal, a warning, and a reminder. The goal, be rooted and built up. The warning, don't be taken captive. And the reminder, remember your fullness in Christ. First, the goal, be rooted and built up in Jesus. So let's go back to verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So note that Paul here is using a, a mix of horticultural and architectural images both things of which I have no expertise. So let's, let's have a shot anyway. So, so first, being rooted in Jesus. So this is, this is a horticultural image. It means that the foundation of the Colossians' lives, indeed their very life source, just like a tree, wouldn't be shallow, but would keep growing deeper and holding fast to Jesus alone, according to the news that he is Lord with which they began. So Paul doesn't want them to be like some sort of giant gum that, that towers into the sky but has a really shallow root system which leaves it really precarious, renders it really precarious and it's ready to topple any time a little bit of pressure is applied. But he also doesn't want them to be spiritually uncommitted, flittery, always ready to up stumps and, and be re replanted with a different Lord and Saviour when something looks more appealing. They're planted into the expansiveness of Jesus, not into the constraints of a pot. Paul wants them to have roots that run deep and firm to Jesus alone, not to another philosophy, not to another faith, not to some sort of additive practice, but to Jesus. Just last month, you may have seen a new building in New York, uh, the Steinway Tower, was opened up to its very first residence. And not only does this building soar 435 metres into the skyline, but it also boasts being the thinnest skyscraper in the world. Now, you might think, uh, that doesn't sound like a really great boast, does it, being the thinnest skyscraper in, in the world? Uh, isn't there a reason, I mean, I'm not an engineer, but isn't there a reason why buildings aren't built both really tall and really thin? And if you're thinking that, the answer is, yes, there is a reason. <laughs> They're going to get blown about. 
And so in order to counter the lateral, that the sideways forces against this building, causing it to sway and eventually uh, topple, the engineers designed it so that it would have around 200 anchors, giant anchors, driven down deep up to 30 metres into the ground and attached to rock. That's what they planned. That's what they designed. So imagine that you're armed with that knowledge. You think, well, this is going to be safe, so you, you dole out your $50 million for one of those apartments, OK? If you're wanting to do that, they're all sold, I think. I'm sorry, you've missed that opportunity. But say you did, you feel this is going to be safe, got all these giant anchors, but then when you're up there on the 90th floor, you discover that actually, whilst the engineers designed the anchors to go 30 metres deep, the builders thought, let's just make them 30 centimetres, and that instead of securing them to rock, let's just put them in the clay. You'd be out of there pretty quick fast. Paul wants the Colossians and us to keep ensuring their foundations are deep and solid in Jesus. Not only because Jesus is the only true foundation, the only true rock worthy of us building our lives upon, but also because Paul wants the Colossians and us to keep growing in him and be built up. Paul's guarding against a type of spiritual complacency. You don't just become a Christian and then put your feet up for the next 40 years, or however many years there may be, and, and watch Netflix or something like that. No, the Colossians, to keep growing in the likeness of Jesus, their fruitfulness for Jesus, and the maturity in Jesus. Rooted deep and built up. So there's a sense of them both, both unchanging and ever-growing unchanging, so not, not upping stumps, flitting from one Lord to the next, but being rooted in Jesus, yet ever-growing, not stagnant or complacent, but continuing to grow in and for Jesus alone. So how do we do that? Well, Paul, helpfully, provides two simple ways which help us to be rooted and built up in Jesus. So verse 7, how? Be strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Being strengthened the way you were taught, we, we don't need to be on a search for a new gospel or some sort of gospel innovation. If you come away from St. Bart's on a Sunday and you think what you heard preached was really innovative, that is not a good thing, okay? There shouldn't be gospel innovation. Paul's saying that our lives would be would be so characterised with, with being saturated, with digging into the richness, the expansiveness of the good news, that we would keep on growing in our relationship with the Lord Jesus. Be strengthened in it. Strengthen one another in it. There's a million ways to do that, of course. But, but it's why that the rhythms such as of, of gathering and connecting in small groups and daily devotion and, and singing praise are all so important. Whatever rhythms and relationships help you hold on to and grow in the good news of Jesus, pursue them. And just to yourself, if in honest reflection, 
you think, I've got a real absence of those rhythms and relationships that help me to be rooted and build up in Christ, well, it might be a great opportunity to find some. The other way that helps us to be rooted and built up is by an overflowing with thankfulness. Now, at one level, that, of course, is a natural response to, to digging into the good news. That, that's a natural outpouring and upflowing after we dig into the good news. That's why Paul says overflowing. The more we grow in God, the natural response is gratitude. This isn't just mere positive psychology or positive spin. It's not to say that there aren't hard things which we grieve, but that when we look to Jesus, there's always cause for thanks. Some years ago now, the, the Harvard Medical School, in really what has been a flood of, of, of psychological and science, scientific research recognising the, the value of thankfulness for all sorts of positive outcomes, they suggested that two things in particular are really helpful in cultivating thankfulness. They, they suggested keeping a gratitude journal and also counting your blessings. They said two ways to help cultivate and promote thankfulness. But, you know, gratitude should be so much easier for Christians because we have someone to thank. Being strengthened in the faith we were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Both of those will help us be rooted and built up in Jesus. Second, a warning. Don't be taken captive. So verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. When Paul says, see to it, that no one takes you captive, he's saying, Colossians, God has freed you from being a slave to sin and death, so make sure, be intentional, be really intentional and proactive that no one takes you captive to something else. The word for, for captive here has, has military connotations. And so Paul is saying, don't be kidnapped. Don't be snatched away and locked up. This is really serious. Now, whilst we don't know the details, we know very well that there were people at the time in Colossae who were trying to convince the Colossians that their faith was infantile and insufficient. There were people, all sorts of ways, trying to convince them of that. Uh, a few weeks ago, I received an email from an Australian airline. I won't tell you who it was, but they have a, a, a bounding marsupial, okay? So I got an email from an Australian, uh, Australian airline. And, and what I discovered in this email, quite exciting news, is that they had a whole new status level on offer for frequent flyers. I don't know how many frequent flyers there are at the moment, but anyway, this is what they're offering. Now, I knew about bronze, silver, gold, and platinum... But now, you ready? There was a whole new level, brand new status, green. And I, Adam, could earn this status if only I fulfill a bunch of intricate criteria that happen to also seem to really benefit the bottom line and profits. Now, prior to the email, I didn't know that my status wasn't enough. Yet as silly as it was, Whatever insecurity it was playing on, I still found considering myself and looking at it afterwards. People around the Colossians were pitching 
that they needed something additive. They needed something more. They needed a special knowledge or a special experience in order to be legitimate people of faith. It's actually really interesting that in the original language, the word for captive here sounds a lot like the word synagogue. And so Paul might be less than subtly thinking about some particular Jewish groups at the time who were likely demanding the Colossians adhere to a whole list of, of, of prohibitions and rules or some stranger ascetic-type practices where they should mistreat their bodies in order to resist temptation or even some other weirder things like worship of or, or with angels. It's interesting today that, that in Christianity... Sometimes we see similar things floating about as well. We sometimes hear people or groups who say, well, unless you obey this whole extra list of rules, you're not really a full Christian. Or, or unless you've had this spiritual experience, or unless you pray in this very particular way, well, you're really missing out. But what does Paul say? It's hollow and deceptive. He's not obviously against all spiritual practices, but he's saying to the Colossians, in the gospel, you have everything that you need to be full. Not only will these things not deliver on what they promise, they're, they're hollow, but they're also deceptive. They're promising a, a fuller Christianity, but instead they're distorting the free gift of grace. So can you see the danger here? We, we like the Colossians, can be caught somewhere between wanting to, to earnestly grow in godly ways, just as Paul had implored the Colossians to do, yet we can also be kind of prone to drifting away from Jesus and, and seek to fill that in all sorts of helpful ways unhelpful ways. So Paul's saying you need to be careful about what you take up. We need to be on guard against bogus spiritual practices. And the clue on how we discern what is bogus and what is not, how we sift through that, is by looking at what they depend on. So that was Paul's critique. Do they depend on Jesus? Or do they depend on something else. When Paul talks about human traditions, he's likely referring to extra rules to obey or things to do in order to be classified and recognised as, as full Christians. If only you did this, then you would be the real deal. When, when Paul talks about elemental forces, that really is up for debate, that, that phrase. But part of what he might be referring to or have in mind is, is sort of cosmic forces things like angelic worship that people are submitting to. But either way, the point is clear. If these practices don't drive us into the roots of Jesus and the truth of the gospel, they're distracting at best and destructive at worst. We have to be wise. So, you know, a, a very particular methodology of of reading the Bible might be really helpful in, in driving us deeper into the good news that Jesus is Lord. But if that same methodology 
turns into some sort of marker of authentic Christianity, then it's dangerous. We're no longer depending on Jesus, but on that particular thing that we're doing. At the time of the Colossians, there would have been a whole bunch of, of gods and religions floating around the context and practices in their culture, and they would have felt lots of pressure and probably a natural inclination even to try and incorporate some of those other religious practices into their practice and life as Christians. Now, it's easy to think, well, I'd never get caught up in shallow and deceptive philosophies, you know, like angelic worship, that's not going to happen to me. You think, these poor ancient people, that is, didn't understand, they couldn't discern. I'm not susceptible to that. I'm not going to be suckered into that. But I wonder what the shallow and false philosophies of our age are. I think it's naive to think that there aren't myths in our culture perhaps less immediately evident than angelic worship, that are in fact continuously pitched to us and we're tempted to buy in. I just want you to think for a moment that in our culture, I think one of the, the key guiding principles of our culture today, that not only is who you are, so your identity is some sort of DIY project, you know, do-it-yourself project, you make yourself who you are, but the prevailing advice in our culture today that we can buy into is that you'll only find your true self, your full self, by looking within. Or, you know, as one of the, the great prophetesses of our culture today sings out, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. I've got a four-year-old who sings that all the time. It's the prevailing narrative of our culture. And it's easy for us to get caught up in it, for us to keep looking within for fullness instead of looking to Jesus. In uh, Brian Rosner, Brian Rosner is the principal of Ridley College. In his new book, which is called How to Find Yourself, and it's not by looking within, he, he summarises really helpfully some of the catch cries of our culture which keep pointing us and shaping us to, to look within in, instead of looking up. And two of those catch cries, which, which he so helpfully summarises this. Just, just think about this if you think this is true of what our culture perpetuates. Well, the first is that independence from God and personal autonomy is the path to life. The second is that following the desires of your heart will lead you to finding your true self two catch cries of our culture. Basically, don't, don't look up, look within. That's where you'll find fullness and completion. But of course, the irony is, is that not only does it lead to a culture in which we're constantly desperate to have other people affirm the identity that we've created for ourselves, but that if you are responsible for being the meaning maker of your life, it also means you need to wear the consequences yourself for all your failures. It's absolutely crushing. It's the opposite of being rooted in Christ, in whom we find not the crushing weight of being our own meaning makers and redeemers, but our true identity and the fruit 
of grace and the fullness of life in him forever. We don't need to buy into deceptive philosophies of the world because in Jesus, just like the Colossians, we already possess everything we need. When I was growing up and when I was in primary school, my brother and I would, on a weekly or fortnightly basis, go between my mum's house and my dad's house and back to my mum's house. And I remember growing up as a child and having that uh, arrangement that I was always anxious. I was, I was really anxious that I had left something behind that I would need. I was always worried that I left something behind that I would need and I just wouldn't have it. It was a type of, you know, FOMO, fear of missing out before it was cool. But Paul is saying that we don't need to fear that as Christians. Remember, you have all that you need, your fullness in Christ. Verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you've been brought to fullness. Here's the head over every power and authority. So, so the logic of Paul is thrillingly good. If Jesus is fully God, there's no one greater. He is the head over every power and authority. He's not one of a multitude of intermediary hierarchical beings to pay homage to. That's how Tom Wright puts it. But Jesus is the fullness of God himself. And remarkably, that as you put your trust in him, you get caught up in his fullness, that there's nothing else you could possibly need because the effects of Jesus' fullness keep cascading down to those in him. So do you notice that language of, of in him and with him that's repeated over and over again throughout these verses? So verse 10, in Christ you have been brought to fullness. Verse 11, in him you were also circumcised. Verse 12, you have been buried with him. You have been raised with him. Verse 13, God made you alive with Christ. So can you hear what Paul is saying? What is true of Jesus, when you put your trust in him, also becomes true for us. It's, it's like that classic illustration that's used for many, many years, that, it, that if Jesus was represented by a, a book, and if we were a piece of paper, that when we're in Christ, it's like the piece of paper's been inserted into that book. And so everything that happens to Jesus, to the book, is also true of us. As he died, so too has our sin died with him. The price for our sin died with him. As he was raised, so too will we be raised. It's because of Jesus' fullness that we can have fellowship with God. It's because of Jesus' fullness that we can have freedom from condemnation. That's what Paul's reference to circumcision and baptism is all about, verse 11. In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Have me buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. It means we have both an extraordinary freedom and fellowship with God. Circumcision, of course, was of males on the eighth day. It was a seal of 
of God's covenant with Abraham. It was a sign that they were a people, that they were God's people. Paul is now saying that the Colossian Christians are a people. They enjoy fellowship with God, not circumcised by human hand, but in their hearts by the very life-giving work of Jesus himself as we turn to him. That's also followed up in the image of baptism. That, that is the person being baptised, the image is going down into the water. It's an image that there is a death, there is a burial of our old selves taking place. No longer captive to sin and death. That captivity, or as Paul says here, our legal indebtedness, which verse 14 stood against us and condemned us, it's been forgiven. That IOU has been torn up. That when we look to the cross, we can imagine that our sins have been nailed there too. And just as in baptism, we come up out of the water, as Jesus was raised, so too will we be raised. Verse 15, when the powers and authorities of the world did their worst to our Lord, says he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The Colossians are to live in the way they launched. They can do that because it's in Jesus that they find the fullness of everything they need. And so do we. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much for the tremendous news that we have everything that we need in Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would be really at work in and through our lives, that we would be rooted and built up in Jesus. Lord, please help us to be strengthened in the faith that we have taught, the good news that Jesus is Lord, that we had rhythms and relationships that really cement our trust and grow into the expansiveness of the richness of that news. And accordingly, Lord, that our lives would be saturated and overflowing with thankfulness to you. Lord, we pray that in the power of your spirit, you would really help us, that we would see to it that we wouldn't be taken captive from those things which are deceptive and hollow. And that we would remember, as we look to Jesus, that we have complete fullness in him and him alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.